because I'm constantly looking for the opportunity. And I think if we are constantly looking for an opportunity to witness somebody, we're going to start finding a lot more opportunities. I think a lot of us turn a blind eye to it. Like I'll be in Walmart in the rice aisle and I'll see somebody else in the rice aisle and, and I'll just look at them and they're trying to figure out what rice to, to get. And I'm like, Basmati's great rice. You know, like you got to get them hot. I mean, that's some good stuff. And, you know, we'll laugh. And, and I'm just finding something that they're currently looking at or doing. And I'm like, you know, rice, rice has got to get in water. You got to get baptized. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> No, I would never do that. But but it's the idea of like anything I can do to eventually make a normal conversation a God conversation. Welcome to the Almost Apostolic Podcast. I'm your host, Anissa. And this podcast is designed to share the backstories and testimonies of beautiful ministry-minded people. I hope you laugh, and I hope you learn that we are all striving for perfection in an imperfect world as people of faith. So join me every other week as I interview a few familiar folks, and hopefully some you may not know. Today in the studio, I have one of my great friends, Pastor Evan Hood from Spokane, Washington. I was thinking about how far we go back, and I think our initial meeting and greeting was in 2011, I want to say. I think so. TBC. So yeah. So it's been 12 years. Wait, that's 12 minus. How many years? <laughs> almost. It's been almost in a, a mathematician podcast. <laughs> it has been 11 years since we've known each other. And that was before you were with your one and only right, right now. So that is way, way, way long ago. But anyway, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. So I know I said from Spokane, Washington, but I want you to give a little bit of background and talk about where you started and where you are now. Well, I will tell you just a little bit of my story. I am first generation apostolic, or as you can put it, first generation almost apostolic, right. <laughs> and uh, working on it, trying, striving. I was born and raised in Spokane, Washington, uh, to a, a, a pretty rough background. Family was on drugs, alcohol, all of those different things. And, um, you know, life just kind of progressed in that, in that direction, just abuse, cops being called, you know, started knowing some of the cops by name, always at the house. And, um, you know, at the age of 13 years old, I was very, you know, depressed and suicidal. And uh, one night I went to put a knife to my wrist and said, I'm going to just end it all. And so I, I went to do that, but I had heard about God, but in Spokane, it's very like godless area. So there's, there's not really a lot of churches. There are now, there's a lot more different kinds of churches, but um, just the concept of church was something that we didn't really, didn't really hear about, but I had heard about God. And so I, I just, you know, cried out in desperation, you know, if there's a God and you're real, you got to help me. I'm tears coming down my face. It's something that, uh, you know, all I had known is abuse and all I had known is like violence and everything like that. And so I remember uh, being in my room and, and just getting ready to end it all. Cause I thought if this is all there is life, I'm, I don't want it. And so I, I remember praying that prayer and I felt something come in my room and it scared me. It scared me. I threw the knife down and I just started crying. And uh, it wasn't but a couple, maybe weeks later, um, my sister who and her husband had been going to this church, and they started dressing weird and started acting a little weird. And they were always going to church and they'd always been inviting me. And uh, one time we took a trip and uh, 
they had these tapes playing in their car. And I didn't remember at the time what it was, or recognize what it was at the time, but there's this dude just screaming. I thought, man, that's some weird music. <laughs> and, uh, and so little did I know it was my pastor preaching. So they've been inviting me and I, you know, I just really didn't have time for church folk. I just thought, you know, religion was a cop out and uh, it's just a good band-aid. Well, after this encounter, they invited me. And that's, you know, something I would say is, is just keep inviting people because they had invited me multiple times and I had just denied it. Well, they finally invited me and they're smart. They said, you know, to the 13 year old kid, uh, we'll get you out of the house for the summer weekend. You know, you just come stay at our house for two weeks, but you have to go to church. And so I said, all right, let's go. I walked in the door of the church. They were really smart. They put me in the middle of the aisle so I couldn't escape. And I just remember everything going, uh, you know, everybody just worship started going, churches started rocking and rolling. And I just people started jumping and shouting. I thought these people are crazy. Uh, but something happened in that in that building, I felt the same presence I had felt in my room just a couple weeks prior, but this time it didn't scare me. And it was in that moment that I, I knew I was having an encounter with God. And so that kind of was my introductory conversion, you know, just kind of getting in there, getting baptized, uh, getting the Holy Ghost. Uh, but my, my, my main testimony is really the fact that through it all, you know, there was times where I had to, my brother and sister, they backslid and I had to get to church. And so I remember um, at times I walked to church. You know, I, once I found what I was looking for, I had found everything. Um, and at one point we lived too far away. We were homeless at one point. So I had my parents moved in with their drug dealer and I had to move with my grandma. And we were too far for me to walk to the church. So I, we, I don't know if you ever had this at your churches, but we had this church directory. And so I remember going through and and uh, and calling through the names. I made it all the way to the letter K before somebody said, we'll pick you up. And so they picked me up, took me to church. And, um, you know, whether it be uh, those moments when I had to walk or somebody picked me up, uh, stepping over my past out father on my way to church, like I just made it up in my mind. I was going to live for God. And it wasn't very long in live for God that I felt like God had called me. I was about 15 years old. And I felt like I was calling me to be an evangelist. But uh, I had never really heard the word or the term. And so I remember going to my Bible that they gave me when I got baptized and went back to the very back of the concordance. And, you know, I think we take some of these things for granted. Like when you're from the world, you really, if you're, unless you grew up in like a, a religious society, I had no clue what it was. You know, I thought, you know, I thought the Bible was just like a linear book. So I was like reading Genesis, got bored of the these and thou, skipped the book of Revelations and the snake became a dragon. I thought, oh my goodness, I better finish the rest of this book. So, so I remember going to the concordance. I circled, you know, evangelists. I went back and read those, you know, preacher, all these different things. And then one day, Pastor Mayo said, let's welcome our evangelist. I thought, well, okay, so I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to be a preacher, right? You know, and, uh, you know, through my pastor's leadership and training and different things like that, yeah, it just put me in different positions and different things, you know, from youth pastor, um, worship leader, those kinds of things. And his main push was always evangelism. And he said, before you think about getting behind a pulpit, he didn't say this, you know, mean or anything like that. He said, you need to win a soul. So I would go out with my pastor door knocking at the time. I was really more introverted. So here I am at 13 years old. I don't really know anything. 13, 14 years old. I'm knocking on doors on Saturday saying, you guys need to come to church. And they're, you know, they start asking me theological questions and I'd look back and say, I, I don't know, but just, you need to come, you know, at 14, I, I, my dad came to my room and I, I, I didn't really have much Bible, but I opened up my Bible and quickly just, uh, you know, said, there's one verse I do. And I pulled up Acts 2.38. I said, you know, see this right here. I like had him read it. And my dad said, you're right. And so I took him to the church that week and he got baptized in Jesus name, got the Holy Ghost. 
And, uh, you know, still working on my mom. Uh, I went to, after Wednesday night service, you know, this is things we take for granted. I went to a, uh, I went, have I, them, I had somebody drop me off at my brother's house, which is down the road from the church. And they were having this just blasted party, just absolutely going wild. I thought nothing of it. You know, it's just like the life I grew up in. So I'm thinking, I'm just going to hang out there. I'm not doing anything wrong. And I'll never forget, I was in that room. And I just felt like the Holy Ghost told me, you're not supposed to be here. So I got up from there, went out. And uh, and my brother said, where are you going? I said, I'm a Christian now. I'm not supposed to be there. Well, he ended up following me out of the party. He got baptized. He got the Holy Ghost. You know, so so that was kind of it. And and, and through the just, you know, different things that my pastor had me doing, you know, just his main desire was always to win souls and that passion got into me so whether it was my family members my friends that was my main focus so uh, you know we use the term evangelist and we think preacher but the truth is an evangelist is one that wins souls and so um, I didn't really preach a whole lot at my home church I just went and just started teaching bible studies with my high school started teaching bible studies went door knocking finding a bible study that was what it was all about and so that that kind of got me out to the point where you know i was working you know uh, in the banking industry for about nine years bought a house at like 25 and i remember you know feeling like i still felt this call to go you know um i was still winning people you know in, in my area i wasn't just sitting on the pew i was doing as much as i could in the kingdom but i still felt this call to go and i, I couldn't explain it and i uh, felt just like that's uncomfortable so i remember going and couple day fast and praying, saying, God, if you really want me to do this, just give me a sign. And I said, have a preacher call me that I've never met. I didn't really preach out. 15 minutes later, I got a phone call. And that led to my first revival. I didn't know I was going to be driving like 15 hours down to California for a one-week revival. Well, I had already taken all my PTO, going to things like Peak and different things that year. And I had a decision to make. I texted my pastor. I said, Pastor, I'm getting invited to go back to this deal. Um, but I don't have any more time off. And he just looked at me and said, what did God call you to do? And so I told my, my, my boss, I said in my resignation, they said, how are you going to pay your bills? And I said, I don't know. Where are you going to go? I said, well, I'm going down here for a week. Where are you going after that? I said, I, I don't know. I just, God told me to go, so I'm going to go. And so I, I left all of that, drove down to California, and then I started evangelizing. I evangelized for like four years off of one-week revival. So that's kind of what got to that point. Um, that's really where we were. Um, that leads us into uh, becoming the pastors of uh, Apostolic Revival Center in Carson City, Nevada. And uh, that's a whole other other story. Um, but we can I can quickly let you know kind of the events that led up to that. Um, we were evangelized. We were in the South. So I got married at this point to my beautiful wife. Yes. And beautiful, phenomenal, God, fantastic, incredible, right. spectacular. I knew I needed a good one. Yes. She had somebody to keep me in line. She's a great one. And so we, we traveled and we had finally at that time got a trailer. You know, I had been evangelizing single for a while and uh, we went down to the South for a while. We we're preaching out there, um, just doing different revivals. And, you know, we had scheduled several things and I, we had been down there for about a year and I felt the Holy Ghost tell me, you're done in the South. And so I had to cancel some stuff and I said, go back to the West Coast. Well, I didn't have anything lined up and, you know, I, I wasn't the type to go make a phone call. You know, I just felt like God opened the first door, he'll open the next one, he'll open the last one. And so I went back to California, drove like 2,000 miles, wrecked my trailer, which don't even talk about trailer problems. I've had plenty of them. Um, wrecked my trailer on the way back, got to California. I parked uh, in San Jose. 
And the moment I parked set of the trailer, the Holy Ghost spoke to me, you're done evangelizing. And this is in January, like of 2018. And so um, I looked at my wife and said, we're done evangelizing. Well, at that point, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I, I'd always felt like I was going to go start a church. So uh, we, had, we had quickly, as soon as people found out we were back on the West Coast, we got a few things that people wanted us to preach. So we preached there. And then I quickly made up in our mind, we're going to go to the Northwest because that's where I'm from. So we drove up to the Northwest and we were praying about, you know, where he wants to go. So we sat down with my pastor and just, you know, talk to pastor and sister man and said, where do, where do you, you know, where do you think we should go? And at that point, I didn't really care. He could have told me, told me to go anywhere. I'd have gone. And we, he just said, we'll pray. So we took three days out praying and fasting. We drove across the Northwest. So from Washington, Idaho, Oregon, those different cities, I would wake my wife up and say, all right, we're in this city, pray. There's a few cities. She woke up, looked, said, nope, this ain't it. <laughs> and so, so we just kept praying. And, uh, after three days, um, I got a phone call from a pastor friend of mine in Carson City, and uh, he said, this is a really difficult call, but I've been meaning to call you for three days. And so he said, will you pray about coming here? And it was kind of a difficult yes, because I had set it up in my mind that I was going to start a church, um, not to say that one is better than the other. I just, that was the only thought process I had, and so I had to, like, let that kind of go and knowing that this was going to be my future our future this is what we were going to do and it was and i so i told told this preacher i said you know brother you really probably should line somebody else up and he said god gave me your name and nobody else's name and so he's like basically i'll wait for your phone call and so we just started praying and and then we felt like god was leading us that direction and uh, it was unanimous. We had a prayer meeting after prayer meeting after prayer meeting. And finally, I just said, you know what? I know God is calling us to this. And so we ended up in Carson City, Nevada. And we couldn't be happier. Yeah. So what was the thought process and the mindset that you had leading up to the realization that you were moving into such an intense leadership role? Well, as soon as we got that phone call to go, and I had to really pray through, um, you know, because, again, it wasn't just leaving um, to, to go take a church. It was leaving the idea that I was going to start one. Um, and it's kind of the difference between birthing and adopting. You know, you when you birth something, it's got your eye color. You know, when you adopt something, you don't know. And um, there's also, I already, you know, I'm a long-term guy, and I, I can think about the different challenges that that can present. And so I had to really pray about, you know, when we were to go, you know, I wanted to make sure it was the will of God. So we went up to a place in California called Prayer and Fasting. So you can just go in Santa Cruz area. They've got these little cabins you can pray and fast in. And uh, we went up there and we prayed. And, I, you know, I just said, I really need to know, God, that this is what you want us to do. And so we went up there and really getting our mind focused. And when I was there praying, it was God started showing me faces of people that were in the church. I only preached there a couple of times. So it wasn't like I was the guy that was always there. Um, and faces of people that weren't yet in the church. And it was really like, will you, you know, what about them? And really getting me to focus in on the mission, which is souls. It was all about um, winning people to God and that there was a mission field that God had for us 
that we were called to where we were going to impact people for eternity. And so um, I knew that we were not just going to be incrementally jumping in. So this is not starting a church where you sh- you know show up, you get a little storefront and or community center, set up some chairs, maybe um, a little podium, you know, go knock some doors, get a, a few folks, which is not easy work. This is all very difficult work, but you grow incrementally. I was immediately going to be jumping in. We were going to immediately be jumping into a church that was more established and was progressing moving forward. And so the wheels were already turning and it was like jumping onto a moving train. You didn't have time to adjust. You had to just jump in. So I knew that was going to be the case. So it was absolutely getting in and praying that God would um, give us the right, you know, the right uh, things to say when we were there. Um, that God would connect us to the right people when we got there, um, that God would really help us to grow in leadership because um, we knew that we might have leadership skills from other things that we've done. But when you start over as a leader to some individual person, you start over. You could have, there's no transferable credits. So you can't say, well, I did this and I did that. None of that matters. The people that you are now going to lead don't know you. And so you have to earn their respect, earn their trust. You cannot rest on your laurels. You can't say, well, I've already been here and done that. You actually have to show everything from scratch. And the, the deal is you have to do that while keeping the train moving, while running like, alongside the train. So it was kind of an intense um, an intense deal, but we really approached it with prayer. And our main prayer was, God, we need you to go before us. And we really feel like God helped us. He just started moving things out of the way. And, uh, and God performed miracles that we don't have time to talk about to get us where we needed to be. I mean, cause really through prayer, yeah. when you're praying, you're thinking, and I'm an overthinker. So yeah. that's, a, we, hey, that's hey. a whole other subject. <laughs> so when you got there, when did you start implementing the changes that you wanted to see? That's a very good question. We, we had heard, and we got a lot of counsel, you know, uh, in multitude of counsel, there's safety and there's wisdom. And so we heard a lot of people tell us, you know, don't don't change anything, you know, for the first year, um, and and I agree with that. There are some things that you know, just logistically, you know, what you can and can't do, um, different leadership styles, different ways of doing things. You know, there's and in that respect, I don't think there's any right or wrong way to do it. But the the first thing we wanted to change was just just a couple of of, of just cultural things. Again, it was a wonderful church. Um, a revival church. There was constantly visitors and different things like that. Um, and so we, we immediately jumped in and we didn't change any drastic things. Uh, again, I don't think there was a whole lot of drastic things that needed to be changed, but we really just made it up in our minds that instead of going in and um, formally changing things, we were going to really try to project from who we were, who we were, as the change. So we were going to represent certain aspects that we wanted in the church. And we were going to um, represent certain ideologies that we wanted people to uh, reflect back. And so that was one of those, and it wasn't hard because all of those things, uh, they're not a performance, they're who you are. And so we just, we just lived loud, if that, if that makes sense. And, and so we were able to start right away, living loud, um, leading by example. You know, I am not the type to know, tell you go do this. That's a manager, but leadership is, you know, Hey, let's go do this. And you're out front and you're, you're leading by example. So it's like, Hey, uh, let's win souls. Well, uh, 
I need to be out there. And so I'm out there meeting people in the community, trying to, you know, meet as many people as I can. And, you know, let's, let's worship. So I'm on the front row, you know, worshiping and praising God. And again, it was, there's already so many good cultural things that were there that we didn't have to make um, too many drastic changes, but we just, you know, we just wanted to make sure we continue to represent, you know, what would be a revival church atmosphere so that we can perpetuate revival in Carson city. So what's one of the biggest challenges you faced as a young pastor? Because you are 31, right? I am 33. I'll be 34 this year. Okay. But I was 30 when I, um, so I was 30 years old when Mm -hmm. I uh, started pastoring the church. My wife was 24. So in the church, um, there were many, and there are many that are, you know, could be our parents, could be our grandparents' age. And uh, some probably could be great-grandparents' age. And so that was... I think more of a challenge for the people than it was for us, because at first I wanted to address the elephant in the room. That was one of the first things in my mind was, you know, how are people going to perceive this? And it did present challenges. Absolutely. Because you have different generations, you have different thought processes. Um, But I I remember thinking, okay, I'm just going to hit it head on and I'm going to talk about it. And I prayed. And I think that's the biggest key is always pray. Like, is this the right thing? I felt the Holy Ghost check me. It's like, you know, Jesus was 30 when he started his ministry and and died at 33 and a half. And so nobody questions him on that. It's only in this generation that we think being a young pastor that that is somehow bad. And I don't think, I don't know where that comes from because many of our forefathers, even in the apostolic movement, were some of them started churches at 15, 14, you know, some were young. Um, I think it's only in this generation that we think that somehow 30 is young. You know, back in the day, 30 was the life expectancy. So I think, you know, it, I guess middle age is wherever you choose it to be. So um, it, it's it's the idea that I just decided, the Bible says, to let no man despise your youth, but be thou an example of the believers. And so that's exactly what we decided to do. We didn't, we didn't um, really even acknowledge that, you know, our, our youth, because I think there's a difference between age and experience. And so just my background, where I come from, reaching people and talking to people, and that, you know, had won several people back home and, you know, had been involved in different things. My wife had helped her dad start a church. She was nine years old, music directing from nine years old. So it's like a rental car, you know, got a lot of miles on you and people drive you like they stole you. So yeah. you're just, you're out there and you're moving and you're going. And so you can look at somebody and say, well, they might not know a whole lot, but you look at even our generation now, you got like Mark Zuckerberg. Well, he's young. He's a billionaire. Elon Musk. Well, he's younger. He's a billionaire. And uh, and all these guys became billionaires, you know, when they were in their you know early uh, 30s, some in their 20s. So, you know, we, we even look through history. Alexander the Great conquered the known world in his like 20s. So we we just kind of avoided that. We didn't even really go down that that thought process, because that is to say that that youth it means you're inexperienced. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I agree. I agree. Is there a stereotype around young pastors that's just like absolutely not true? Like, where did this come from? Nobody really thinks like that. Yeah, there's probably several. Um, one would be what I just said is that if you're young, you're inexperienced. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we, we can't discount anybody's experience. And I do believe that God calls uh, people to a city because of the qualities that they possess. And this is why, you know, somebody that God calls to, you know, city A will be successful if he goes to city A. 
But if he thinks, no, city B sounds better, he may not be very successful because he was equipped for city A. Um, and, you know, sometimes we get it twisted where we even look and think, oh, well, I need to go to a you know metropolis where there's you know 8 million people and then I'll be successful. When truthfully, you might have been more successful as a rural pastor. And so the, the idea that, um, you know, that you're young, therefore you're not experienced. I, I think God utilized the experience. In fact, all the way through the Bible, God would constantly say, you know, the young day, Jeremiah would say, I'm but a youth. And some of these other folks, I'm young. He'd say, say not that you're young. And Gideon talking about how he's the least and he's the youngest and he's all these different things. And God just checked him and said, I don't see you where you are. I see you as what you will be. And God looks at us and sees us through our potential. And of course, it's his desire that we actualize that potential. And sometimes people don't actualize their potential because they let either stereotypes that actually do exist or they let these stereotypes that don't exist that they put on themselves stop them. So they think, well, I need to wait until I got gray hair to, um, to be a pastor. Well, you know, we do love every pastor that's got gray hair, but all those guys started before they had gray hair. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, like an entry level job that needs 10 years of experience somewhere. You got to go out and get the experience. And so even if you go and you try and maybe it doesn't work out as well as you want it to, you're gaining experience. Um, and so I think the biggest stereotype is that, that, that you don't have, you know, the skills. Some, some might even say, well, oh, because you're young, you're more susceptible to, um, you know, backsliding or, you know, leading uh, away from, you know, the apostolic way. I, I think that's a logical fallacy uh, because there's been many that have been older that have done that. I think it comes down to, do you have the truth of God in your heart? Do you love his truth. Do you love his word? And I, I know there's a lot of young people that love God. They love his truth. They have no intention of changing it. Um, it's kind of one of those concepts. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, pastoring a church is all about winning the lost. It, you know, the church is not a building, it's a people. So when it comes to outreach, what attributes do you really want to instill in your church as a congregation? Well, um, when it comes to outreach, I think we have to think about outreach and you, when you say the word outreach, a lot of people shudder. And I would love to remove that stigma because outreach is one of the most beautiful things we do. Outreach has been you know, relegated to a Saturday morning where we push the introverts of the church to get out of their shell and go knock doors and talk to strangers. And I, I think that it has shell-shocked some people and, and they've thought, well, outreach is not my gift. When the truth is, if we were to really talk about it in, in multiple categories and break it down, um, something I'm really passionate about is, is, is you know, soul winning, is the fact that we have people that maybe they are not great at teaching a crowd, but they can bake really good cookies. And they're really good at bringing people into their home. And their gift is hospitality. If we could really get people like that to be connectors and links in the chain, uh, you know, because I know churches that, you know, there's been times in our, our, my, my own church where we've I baptized 70 people in a room myself doing big, massive outreaches. Now, that sounds really cool on statistics, but not one of those people are in church today. Um, and I, it was a radical moment. We had to, you know, you have to do radical moments. I think sometimes radical outreaches are good, but I think sometimes radical outreaches are better for the church, get the church out of their shell. 
Um, but, but typically, you know, we talk about witnessing and soul winning. It is the individual that is living a life for Jesus. When you and I received the Holy Ghost, we did not receive the Holy Ghost so that we could speak in tongues, right? Obviously, we know that speaking in tongues is the evidence that you received the Holy Ghost. We also did not receive the Holy Ghost so that we could shout and dance on Sunday, although we do that, right? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Acts 1a says, you were given the Holy Ghost so that you might be witnesses unto me. And so when you and I receive the Holy Ghost, that immediately qualified us to be a witness. And so it should be if, and this is, you know, it's not whether or not you shouted and danced to find out whether or not you, you got the Holy Ghost moving in your life. I'm not talking about initial evidence. It should be, are you constantly actively working to win somebody to God? You know, is the Holy Ghost speaking to you and telling you to, you know, reach out to somebody? Um, and I, you know, I think we've, we've got it all, you know, people always think you know, I've had people tell me, Oh, I've got a ministry and I've, you know, I've asked them, do you have one person that is sitting on a church pew because of you? Well, no, but I have a ministry and I've been very blunt with some, you know, depending on their spirit. And, and I've just said, you don't have a ministry of delusion because ministry is all about people. And if you're not winning people to God, I know people that, that they feel like the Holy ghost tells them what color socks to wear when they wake up in the morning, you know, the Holy ghost always speaking to them about all sorts of stuff. And yet it's funny, you know, the Holy Ghost is speaking to them discernment about brother so-and-so spirit and this going on in the church and that going on in the church, but the Holy Ghost never tells them to reach out to their coworker. And that's when I always go, mm, that's, that's probably not the Holy Ghost speaking. It's probably just your brain working in overload because the Holy Ghost um, will always lead you to somebody else. The Holy Ghost will lead the Phillips to the eunuch. There's chariots everywhere. It'd be like going on a modern day highway. There's cars everywhere. And God says, join yourself to that chariot. You know, and he gets to that chariot and there's a man reading the book of Isaiah. And he's like, do you understand what you read? How can I accept somebody should show me? And and my prayer has always been, God, lead me to somebody that's hungry. And if we could get a church culture that really has that heartbeat. And I believe that we're all as apostolic people. That's, we're all almost apostolic. We're all, we're all really striving to have that culture where it's God, lead us to the hungry. Is everybody hungry? No, not everybody's hungry. Some are filled up, filled up with the world. Um, but there's other people that are really hungry, and our job is to find the ones that are. You know, um, when you go out to a vineyard or you go out to, you know, uh, you know, apple tree, you're not just picking any fruit. You're picking the ones that are ripe and ready. And so um, it's, you know, God, lead me to this and, and show me that. So the church, you know, church culture of revival it, it, and evangelism. It's not just door knocking, although it is door knocking. And I refute anybody that says door knocking does not work. I'll give an example. We just had a, a Sunday school deal and we went out door knocking. And I know that people that say door knocking doesn't work are people that don't door knock. And so they say, oh, it doesn't work. It's not true. It's probably just your approach on how you door knock. If you're door knocking so that you can get a hundred people to come to your church, you might get sorely disappointed. But if you're door knocking to make one contact, it's totally different ball game because you can knock a thousand doors and talk one really good conversation with one person you are 100 percent success or maybe your goal is not to have a direct oh that person came to church because of my door knocking instead you're saying i'm going to i'm going to go out there and i'm just going to get our church name out there you were a success you went out there so we went out door knocking and and and, and i docked on one door and and ran into a young man that had come to one of our events before him and his wife and, and their daughter and he said, well, I was just praying that God would send somebody to talk to me. And so we were starting, we're doing Bible studies with him now. So, you know, it's outreach, door knocking, those kinds of things. You know, um, a lot of times it's in reach as well. 
when somebody comes in the door, the culture that says, I want to be the first one to bring them out to eat. Evangelism is not just, did you teach them Acts 2.38? Evangelism also, did you buy them a cheeseburger? Did you go take them to coffee? Did you love them? Did you spend time with them to get to know them? So I think a culture of, of soul winning, of retention, where we're not just casting the net, but sometimes we're mending the net so that when we cast it the next time, we pull more people in. And a culture of discipleship that says, I received the Holy Ghost so that I could go out and help somebody else receive the Holy Ghost. That God brought me into the church so that I could go out and bring somebody else in the church. If there was ever something the church needs, it's that. Wow. So how receptive are the souls in the Carson City area? It's a very, uh, very different area. Um, anybody that's ever been there, there are a lot of hungry people, but it is very unchurched and not just unchurched apostolic. I mean, there's not Baptist, Methodist. There's a couple. I mean, but this is not the South. This is not even like other areas. We have casinos everywhere. I mean, there are casinos on all throughout our city, all throughout our region. Every gas station has slot machines. So you go by there, even COVID 2020, they were full, right? So we're having church and we're doing, doing whatever we got to do. And they're, they're having church too. And so people are very receptive. Um, it just comes down to understanding that nothing can be assumed. Everything must be taught. You can't assume that people know to come to church. You have to invite them, text them, call them. So it's a very unique area, but I would say that there are so many people that have the hunger and currently working on them connecting their hunger and activating it, right? Because it's because you can be hungry and never satiate your hunger. And so I think part of it is, you know, God working with the church and the church working with the Holy Ghost to really get out there and win people and bring people in. We have visitors all the time, nonstop. We, we don't, I don't think we struggle with having visitors come to church. Um, it's something that people, they know our church, they want to come to church, um, but you'll hear the constant phrase, you know, I really been, I've been thinking about it. And so sometimes it would be that one person that knocked on their door and left a flyer that sets them over the edge. Um, and I do believe it also comes from prayer, like praying to the point where it's no longer just us out there, but we're saying, God, go out. And I know God's already drawing, but no man comes to the Father except the Spirit drawing. So we're out there uh, doing it, meeting people, but also we're praying that God would connect us with people. I've been reading a lot of like psychology and like nonverbal communication books, right? If I can get like a shortcut to how people are feeling without actually having a conversation with them, I feel like I'm winning. That now I do have the conversation, but it's important for me to like see if they're comfortable around me and like get their body language and stuff like that. So when I see someone at church, I'm kind of like scanning. You know what I mean? I want to talk to someone who looks like they're around my age. If they are african-american i want to make sure that i'm introducing myself and showing like that representation i don't like ignore or negate anybody else but i'm saying it's important for me to make those connections so we have relatable topics like so i have something in common with someone so when i notice a visitor or i'm doing outreach i'm like okay how can i get their attention so we get synchronized even if it's a guy I'm like okay if he's in construction or something I'm thinking about that one time my uncle Bobby took me to that construction <laughs> site and I'm like oh my uncle Bobby's in construction. like I'm trying to make 
those deeper connections. So when someone comes into your church or you see someone that looks open and receptive to a conversation, what are the first things you're noticing on a visitor or someone that you plan on witnessing to? That's a great question. And that's what we're all working on. I mean, at least we should be. Not everybody gets social cues in the church and out of the church. And I think the fact that you're working on that and you want to be paying attention to their social cues, I think that would help a lot of us. Um, some of us are stuck in a rut of praise the Lord, brother, you know, and, you know, God bless you. And we forget the fact that some people have no clue what that means. And so we have to be willing to step out of not just our comfort zone, but step out of our norm. And the fact that she will talk about your, you know, Uncle Bobby that does construction, I do the same thing. Mm -hmm. You can ask my wife, like, she has to stop me from, like, talking to people because I'm constantly looking for the opportunity. And I think if we are constantly looking for an opportunity to witness somebody, we're going to start finding a lot more opportunities. I think a lot of us turn a blind eye to it. Like, I'll be in Walmart in the rice aisle and I'll see somebody else in the rice aisle and, I'm, and I'll just look at them and they're trying to figure out what rice to, to get. And I'm like, Basmati's great rice, you know, like you got to get them hot, man. That's some good stuff. And, you know, we'll laugh. And, and I'm just finding something that they're currently looking at or doing. And I'm like, you know, rice, rice has got to get in water. You got to get baptized. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I would never do that. But, but it's the idea of like anything I can do to eventually make a normal conversation a God conversation. So out and about, obviously, I do believe that if we have the Holy Ghost, God will give us direction. I remember when I was um, back in Spokane, uh, I was working at, was working at the mall, and I remember just praying. And this was my prayer every day. I went to either it was high school or I went to work. My prayer was always, God, lead me to somebody that's hungry. Lead me somebody that I can speak to and somebody I can connect with. And so I remember being there, and I felt the Holy Ghost tell me, go into this little, you know, little spots that they like print up on the T-shirt. And go talk to the person that's working there and so and i fought it i was like no i'm on my lunch break I, but like i prayed this every day god lead me to somebody and i thought okay fine i'm gonna go in there and and i look around and you know i'm trying to figure out something and, and you know there's t-shirts in there that's like saying all sorts of stuff and i'm like i'm not gonna talk about that and you know and then i see a belt buckle that says jesus and i'm like i'm not a country boy but i'm like I like that belt buckle <laughs> to the clerk. I, 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 you'll never see me in a belt buckle, but that individual was like, oh yeah, I like the Jesus belt buckle too. And that opened up a conversation to talk about Jesus. And again, I, I kind of threw the line out there and they bit on it and uh, ended up getting baptized, getting the Holy ghost um, coming into church. Another time when I was, um, working at the bank, I, I had it in my, it was my prayer. It was my prayer. Um, I try to make it my prayer every day. Um, but honestly, some days you're just not thinking that way. You're just like, man, I just want to get through the day. Uh, but I, I said, God, lead me to somebody. And there was this individual, this, this, uh, young lady that she came in and she had Jesus written on her, on her, um, hand. And so I immediately thought, okay, there's an opportunity. Now I got to try to figure out a way for the opportunity. Well, came to me that they needed to change their address. So I'm going to take care of that. Something that, you know, somebody else could have taken care of, but I'm like, Nope, I'm going to grab that. You know, I'm not going to, I'm skipping my break. We're going to do this. Get down and, Oh, what brought you from Arizona? Oh, Jesus did. 
well, ding, ding, ding. I mean, Jesus written on the hand. That's a good sign that there's probably a conversation about Jesus. So I start talking to this individual. Oh, really? What church do you go to? Right. So I'm reading I'm just reading, reverberating back the way that they're presenting themselves. Well, God, God told me to come down here. Okay. Well, what church do you go to? I haven't found one yet. Oh, wonderful. You know, I, I am, you know, I, at the time I think I was, I'm the youth pastor of, you know, Cornerstone Pentecostal Church in Liberty Lake, Washington. And I'd love to have you come visit. And, um, you know, and then got the, the, the information, the contact, whatnot. And obviously here's a side note. If it's somebody of the opposite gender, always bring somebody with you because you don't want them to get the wrong impression. So brought somebody else with me and we started teaching Bible studies. And then it was like, we were able to teach Bible studies to, you know, her sister as well. And now they have an entire house full of these charismatic Christians that are just like Jesus lovers, but they don't really know a whole lot. I'm not trying to bash them. We are in that house and there's like, you know, 13 people or so that were gathered around at times. So now I'm like teaching a Bible study of all these people, all because I read on the hand Jesus. And so um, that, that moment, you know, the sister goes, you're wrong. You know, and I wasn't debating. I was just teaching them. I was like, no, no, you, know, you don't need to be baptized. And I said, read it. And you know, they read it. Oh my goodness. And get baptized. Well, sister gets baptized and she gets baptized. And then these friends start coming to church and it ended up being where that, just that one contact, I think there's now like 15 or 16 that are in church today that have come into that. And then one of the people that was in the room is going, uh, I, I went to one of our home churches, daughterwood churches, and I, I was introducing myself to this young couple. I was like, oh, good to meet you. They're like, meet us. 10 years ago, you were teaching a Bible study in this house. We were there. So it went further beyond just that they came into the main church. Years later, these other individuals came. In. So I think we look for social cues. And sometimes it is as simple and plain as, as Jesus written on the hand. And other times it is that moment where you can just, you just know the Holy Ghost is leading you to talk to that person. Maybe they're crying, they're the Denny's worker. And you're just like, you know, how's your day going? And you really want to find out. You just take time to listen. If you'll listen, they'll speak. Yeah. They'll tell you more than you probably want to know. Yeah. You know, they'll tell you about their life. They'll tell you about their family situations. And then you offer them the only answer that we really have. And the only answer that actually works, you give them Jesus. And uh, that's outside the church. Inside the church, if they're coming to church, we don't need to assume the negative, right? We can assume they came to church because they have a need. Our job is now to figure out what that need is. Like what brought you to church? And so I'll walk up, obviously, as the pastor. It's a little, in some respects, that can be a little easier because you're just, I am the pastor, you know. But I used to do this even when I wasn't because I think it's not the job of the pastor. It's the job of everybody. I think a healthy culture of the church is everybody, not to the point where we overwhelm the individual, but everybody's friendly. Everybody's loving. Everybody's kind. We're trying to connect with this individual. And whoever can get their first wins, you know, um, and it might be that sometimes you look for somebody that fits like your age range, your demographic, whatever the case may be. And sometimes it's, I'm just going to be the first one to be nice. You might really connect with a 60 year old lady and all of a sudden you guys are knitting together and it's great. Um, I, here's another example. I, there was a young man that started coming to my home church and uh, he came, he came from uh, another country, didn't really speak a lot of English. And so he also had an interest in learning guitar. I don't get to know guitar, but I kind of want to learn guitar too. have a young man in the church that plays guitar. So I said, why don't you come over to the house and he'll teach us both guitar. And uh, so I had to go over to the house and that young man learned guitar. I didn't learn guitar, but he came over to my house and 
we were able to speak to him in English to where he could understand it. Uh, then he started slipping away from the church. And I noticed, and I wasn't the pastor. It wasn't like, it, you know, oh, it's not my job, quote unquote. Of course it is. It's everybody's job to have retention. And, you know, I called him up, man, what are you doing? He's like, wow, well, you know, I've kind of been, you know, I've been busy, you know. I've been joining this, I've been part of this MMA gym. And, uh, and so I thought, oh, which one? I've always, you know, kind of thought about working out. <laughs> and so I decided to go and join this MMA gym. Uh, you know, obviously for the sake of listeners, I'm being modest and all of that. I'm not being, you know, sinful or anything. I'm not getting, I'm not going to go beat anybody up. But right. I'm just going to go in there and I'm going to like learn. Well, I'm just sparring with him and I'm talking with him. And, um, you know, funny enough, you know, I'm getting arm barred by the, the owner of the gym and like, I'm just like getting beat up, you know, <laughs> coming back with bruises and I'm like, you know, just trying to learn, you know, like learn boxing and I'm like beating against the speed bag. And like, I, I have no intention of actually learning this, but I just wanted this young man to stay in church. Yeah. And, uh, he just kept coming to church. He, he hadn't come, come from us. I was like, man, we'll, we'll go to the gym tomorrow. Just come to church today. And he's now in church. In fact, he married that young girl that had Jesus written on her hand. Oh, wow. And so we have to be vigilant. We have to be willing to look and see, you know, if people are there, if people are missing, look for those cues, find out, you know, what they're interested in. Like you said, I mean, if their arms are folded, you know, and they, they look like they're unhappy, there's nothing wrong with going saying hi, waving. Maybe they don't like physical contact. I'm not going to go give them a hug and say, praise the Lord, brother. Mm -hmm. You know, I might just wave. God bless you. It's good to have you. Just being kind. There's there, again, there's so much we could say here um, about what we could do. Do you feel like there's an intimidation factor that comes into play with today's young people around the idea of soul winning? hundred percent. I think it comes down to a little bit of what we talk about is the stigma that it's, oh, it's the door knocking or it's this. Um, but I also feel like in this generation, social media has played a big part in um, creating more social anxieties that we, we are more comfortable sending a message or, you know, a post or a comment or a like, then we are actually talking to somebody that we don't know because when you do that, there's vulnerability. There's this openness that the individual might not like me, right? There's no immediate gratification of a like button. They don't like what I have to say. Uh, there's no immediate gratification in that moment. You don't know with people. And it's the risk everybody takes, the risk that everybody has to take if they're going to be a soul winner. And again, I don't even like using the term soul winner per se, because what's the opposite of winner? Soul loser. You know, we're not, there's no soul losers. I mean, at the end of the day, we are being disciples. And to be a disciple, you must make disciples. And you basically are replicating and duplicating what God has done in your life. And so I think if we take the stigma off of it that, that's that discipleship or as we've used in this whole podcast, soul winning is an activity. I think we can really get rid of a lot of the fears that surround it. If instead it is a lifestyle, it's you just keep being a Christian. You just keep being apostolic. You just keep being kind to the, to the waiter or the waitress. And uh, like we've got waiters and waitresses that have come to weddings and baby dedications and, you know, we basically made them through the years part of our, you know, extended church family. Now they've not come to church yet. Um, some of them have, but what are you doing? You're just, uh, you're just consistently, you know, involving yourself and, and not being afraid of, of rejection because at the end of the day, now, if you're 
I will say this, you know, we're not called to be, you know, apostolics with machine guns, you know, like there's no, uh, there's no need to go in and just start blasting everybody. You got to speak the truth and love, but, but we're just actually going in there to show that we care. And when the door opens up relationship or the door opens for communication, then we can share the gospel. Then we can share the word of God. Uh, but I think if we focus in on just building relationships. We'd be shocked how many people could actually be in church today if this current generation would just go directly to their friend group. We think that um, in order to be you know, some great soul winner, you've got to go across the seas to a foreign land. But God will often have you go across the street to your neighbor. Like one of the keys is, why don't you go learn your neighbor's names? You know, you know go learn and uh, learn, you know, that they're having, you know, have a barbecue in your neighborhood and invite your neighbors. I think it's a lot less complicated than we've made it. And it's, it can come down to just be their friend. And again, we, we've said it before, maybe you're not the person that's going to go and teach all these people a Bible study. Take that pressure off of yourself. Just become the friend of one. And, and something that's been really on my heart recently is the fact that Jesus leaves the 99 for the one. And I've heard it said before, and I believe it, that if it would have just been for one, Jesus would have died for that one. And I wonder sometimes what we're willing to do for the one. We're willing to go, you know, reach the masses in a foreign country because it's, it's easier to post that on Instagram. But what about the one person? What about the one soul? What about your one friend that doesn't go to church? And, and, and if you were to just say, I'm going to spend the next year, honestly, I'm, I'm not even put a time frame on it. I'm just going to spend until it, as long as it takes for my one friend. I'm going to keep loving them. I'm going to keep talking to them. I'm going to keep encouraging them. I'm not always going to just hound them with a church card, but I'm just going to keep being their friend, um, which, you know, I think another challenge can be that we sometimes can create a monoculture in the church, which is we only know church people. We only know our friends from the youth conference. Somewhere along the lines, we've got to get outside the four walls and become friends with people that are not in church to get them in church. Uh, it, well, we don't want our young people going carnal. I think we risk young people going more carnal when we don't send them out of the four walls. Have you heard of the term deconstructing? Yes. Okay, that's something that's trending. I don't know if it's a buzzword or what exactly it is, but I've had two friends of mine that have posted that they're deconstructing their faith. They're backslidden, and they've said that they don't see where it's worth it. They don't see the benefits. They don't see where God has come through for them. So they are trying to, I guess, like take their brain apart from everything that they've been taught. And it's just, it's strange because like, why is it so prevalent now? Like what is going on now with today's youth that is like, this is why, You've got to break it down. Like, there's no reason to, in my right. Anyway, that was just a weird buzzword thing. But I was like, what is that? And there's, like, these, like, tattoos that are trending with, like, churches with, like, cobwebs all over them. Or, like, Twitter with the halo over the bird, like, tweeting is your God. I don't know. It's just, it was weird. Yeah, anyway. the idea of deconstructing, I, I think, I, I see why a lot of people are, are going that route. Because they themselves have not seen the gospel at work. Um, many of them were raised on a, on a pew and that's great. That's wonderful. Um, but when church has become nothing more than an activity instead of something that's supposed to impact, right. Um, and listen, 
I think we both agree we love to shout and dance and we're all for it, right? But when that has become the, the, the height and the epitome of church, and that is it. If you have shouted, you have, you're there, you know. Some people would even say, fake it till you make it. Like, I don't believe in that at all. You know, faith it till you make it, if anything. Right. But I remember being in my early 20s and, I, you know, did Bible quizzing and all that. And I memorized a lot of verses. And, and I was, I remember at one point, you know, everything had started twisting in my life, going upside down. You know, dad died, car had been stolen, like, didn't have a place to live. Like, just life, right? Because the gospel matters when we hit the real world. And as long as we are stay inside this this little monoculture, right? This microcosm, um, you know, of just church as usual. And again, I'm, I'm not bashing the church at all. I mean, church is great if we see it through the right lens, right? That Sunday night really is powerful if we see it through the right lens. Um, and so, but there's those moments where when the real world hits, when the storm comes, Jesus even said, a storm beats against the house. It's the same storm, but one is built on a rock and one is built on the sand. He's talking about those that know my word, those that do my word. I remember memorizing his word and everything started twisting. And I started deconstructing this before it was a buzzword saying, well, you know, I don't know about this. I don't know about that. You know, uh, just totally ignoring the fact that God had completely converted me from nothing. Right. I got so smart now that all of a sudden I, I knew better. Right? I knew better than the church that baptized me. I, you know, I started really, my brain started playing tricks on me. And of course it was a hard moment. And I remember just going through and you know, I don't know what this, I argue with some friends of mine and you, know, you got to have good, solid Christian friends that when you're not doing well, they are, you know, don't sink to your level of where you are, you know, always have friends that are above you. And so I remember having this moment where I just was, you know, just really, and the worst part is I started finding scriptures to deconstruct. Well, I don't know about this. I don't know about that. And I remember being like, okay, but I'm not going to go up with this about this the wrong way. I'm going to pray because if I'm, if this is really God leading me out, you know, whatever, whatever we, you know, you're the devil twist your brain. I prayed and God said, why don't you try to prove it? Prove it one more time. So instead of deconstructing it, construct it one more time. And I went through and I said, okay, instead of going in the reverse of deconstructing this belief system, I'm actually going to reconstruct this belief system, but I'm going to reconstruct it in a way where it's actually activated it's in place for my current circumstance so i started reactivating it and i started going well man wow i never saw that before because if you look for an excuse you will find one right you will the bible didn't talk about twisting the scriptures to your own destruction you can twist them or you can say god i'm gonna start and you start finding little avenues where i'm like oh my goodness and i went from just having an understanding to getting a revelation on certain things where it was it didn't matter who said what? I was going to keep that till my dying day. From that moment, I never went back to the quote unquote trying to deconstruct. Furthermore, in that moment, it was the one of the moments where I stopped going out reaching. And I'm not just talking about door knocking. I stopped trying to tell other people about Jesus. I stopped trying to tell my coworkers. I just kind of tried to exist as a Christian. Right? Not talk about it, not live my faith out loud. And I'm not trying to be obnoxious, but, and I realized that by not propagating the gospel, I was, the gospel was dying in my heart because this, it, it's kind of like, if you have seeds, you sow them, they produce the fruit and the fruit produces more seeds. But if you 
if you ingest the seeds, they're gone. And so I think what's happened for so many is that they've gone from church service to church service, ingesting, 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 and never planting on the outside. Um, you know, John put it this way. I have no greater joy than that my children walk in truth. We quote that in baby dedications, but he's not talking about little Timmy, right? He's talking about this person that he went to God. And, and it, it's like, well, I've not really seen the gospel work for me. Well, go share it with somebody who doesn't have the gospel. Watch it work for them. And once you see your friend or your coworker come into church, you can never escape that. In fact, it will make your living for God so much more joyous when you shout on Sunday night and see them shouting on Sunday night, you just can't get any happier than that. Furthermore, if you are busy telling other people about your faith, you don't have time to deconstruct it. In fact, they're going to ask challenging questions where you actually have to go back and study out for yourself. And you're going to come back with a lot better answers than you thought. So I feel like we are all called to discipleship. But what is one piece of advice that you could give someone who has just received the burden to outreach and win souls? That's a great question. Um, as we've said, the discipleship is what we are all called to. It is not the responsibility of the church or the pastor, um, although it is the church's responsibility and the pastor's responsibility as well. Um, but to the person that has a burden to see somebody else saved, uh, the first thing I would say is, is pray. And Pray that God, again, that God would lead you. We are not just people of the letter, right? We are people of the book, people of the letter. But we are also people that walk in the Spirit. And if we will walk in the Spirit, God will direct us. He will direct us to certain disciples in Acts chapter 19, right? People that already had, quote unquote, some belief system. And then we will be able to then have the Holy Ghost lead us. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? So if we if we come from a place of prayer, it's a lot easier to walk in the Spirit when we are walking in with intention. And when you pray about something, it is literally you and I humbling ourselves and saying, God, I can't do this by myself. Uh, I walk around my city and I pray and I walk around uh, neighborhoods and I pray. I do it uh, as long as it's not snowing. <laughs> and I'm out there and I'm praying. But I'm praying, God, direct me because I... I could knock every door in the city and not come up with one person. But if you lead me to the one, right, and or it might be in a church service, they're already here at my at my church. God help me to connect with them. Maybe it's talking about construction with you know Uncle Bob's construction company. I don't know. But it's something to be able to connect with them on a personal level where they know. And again, I'm not talking about winning friends and influence people because that's like very shallow and it's, it can be very manipulative. I'm talking about genuinely taking an interest. And when we pray, we're humbling ourselves before God saying, God, I can't do this value. Furthermore, it's praying and saying, God, I really want to do this for my love for you. And then God, I want to do this for my love for them. Because if we speak the truth, but without love, we'll butcher people. We'll just blast them with scripture. But if we have the love of God in our heart, we really want to share that love. Like when we know how loved we are by God, we want to go out and show everybody. I think for people like myself who, who came into this from such a broken background, it was just in my nature. My, I immediately told my best friend, you need to come with me. I told my brother. I told my sister. I told my parents. I told I told everybody. Um, and, and I do feel that that can be the same thing that happens whether you are first generation or 50th generation. If you pray to the point where you say, God, give me a love for people, you cannot win somebody if you don't love them. And so 
that prayer of God, give me my love. And, and you know, when I was in high school, I used to, I used to get up and, and I, this was not easy. And I would pray and I'd say, God, direct me to somebody. And I would play a, a, a sermon and it was about soul money. And it was basically one that just really moved me to like, I got to do something. Right. Um, and, and I, you know, I, even now I'll go out and I, I knock doors throughout the week and I, I pray, God, you know, I'll put, put on the song, you know, build, build your church, right. Or whatever, something like that. And it's not that, you know, I need some hype music, but we do it for the champs. Why not for Jesus? You know? Yeah. And it's like, build your church, but it's not build your church. Like, okay, you do it. It's like, no, you're going to build your church, but I'm going to be the one laying bricks. So when I go out here, God, use me to build your church. When they come into the church, God, use me to connect them to you. Um, God, Use me to take them out to a cheeseburger, you know, and talk to them about you. Like, use me to teach them a Bible study. Or, God, use me to connect them to the Bible study teacher that's really good. Um, God, use my house. If we pray for opportunities, God will give us opportunities. If we pray for miracles, God will give us miracles. If we pray for souls, God will give us souls. Um, but we got to make sure that we are seeking the Bible says, ask and it shall be given, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. And often we use that when we talk about prayer, praying for things, you know, praying for ourselves. I think it works very well for praying for people. God, ask God to save your loved one, your coworker, you know, seek, God, help me seek an opportunity, you know, God, knock on the door of your heart. God's, God's drawing. And if I can get involved where God's involved, we're going to, it's a, it's a winning scenario. I can toil all night like Peter, toil, toil, toil. And he said, I took nothing. And Jesus says, go out and cash it in on this side, on a different side, on the other side. And when he did, he got so many fish that he couldn't even hold them in the boat. And I wonder what would happen if we got in alignment with Jesus when we pray and said, God, I'm not just praying because prayer is not just where I'm going to get on my knees, cry, or just talk about it, right? It's pray so that I can act. Pray so that I can do. Pray so that I can receive what I prayed for. Right? Don't just pray for Peter to be released from prison. Rhoda, you gotta open the door. You know, you gotta, he's knocking at the door. And so, God, help me to win people. And then like your 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 annoying coworkers coming over and talking to you all the time. You're like, oh, get rid of this guy. Maybe that's God answering your prayer. You know, and, and it could be that, man, your your you know, cousin keeps calling. Bob, the construction company keeps going calling. Yeah. <laughs> and it could be that God's leading you to win him. And again, it's gonna it might be a very bumpy journey, but if you're praying it, I really do believe God will answer it. Wow. Well, this has been an incredible episode. I'm so grateful you agreed to meet me and talk about all this. I feel like this is extremely educational. This is what the world needs to hear. Well, praise God. Thank you for having us on here. And it was good to see you. Yeah. And uh, we we love you and love what you're doing and just keep just encouraging people to oh, be apostolic. Thank you so much. A better life. That's all for this episode of Almost Apostolic. If you enjoyed yourself, please do us a favor and leave a review. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And until then, thank you for listening.